Welcome everybody. We're going to open up with a word of prayer. We're going to sing a few songs to worship the Lord. And then uh, we're going to have Brother, I wrote his name down so I'd remember it. Kurt Copeland's going to take over for us after that, okay? And like the like Pastor said, it's not Kenneth Copeland. It's Kurt. Don't get it mixed up. Anybody know Kenneth Copeland? A few of you do. Okay. One of them pastors that promises everything and delivers nothing. <laughs> Okay, so if you, uh, if you, I don't know how many of you actually read our um, daily devotional, but uh, it's a good place to kick off. It only takes about three minutes to read the devotional. And all week long, they concentrated on one song, and it's on page 17 in your songbook. If you want to go ahead and open it, I'm going to talk a little bit about it before we even sing it. Page 17 in your songbook. We'll see how many you even know it. And most songbooks call it Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. They don't go by this title. I'm not sure where they came up with that title. But all week long, our days of uh, praise talked about, is that what we're using, days of praise, right? Cause we, get, we do two of them, yeah. Days of praise talked about this song, and it talked about the different verses of it. It, one, it said for verse 1, My Savior makes me whole. And then verse 2, my strength, and I don't think we're going to do all the verses. My strength and victory, and then a help in sorrow, and then guide and keeper. So it, it went off on them every day, gave a couple Bible verses that went along with that. And it was uh, very interesting. But that's just, if you do this day of praise, it's just a jumping off point. It takes three minutes to read it. You don't want to have that be your whole Bible study, because that wouldn't obviously be enough. Okay, so we're going to turn and sing on page 17. If you want to stand, we'll all sing together. And if you don't know it, you're going to learn it. <laughs> uh, we're going to do, we won't do all the verses. First, fourth, fifth. First, fourth, fifth.
that song. Oh, more than I would thought. Okay. Next, we're going to sing uh, 693. And I think everybody knows that one. What was it? A shelter in the time of storm. I don't think we've ever sang that since I've been here in two years. Never sang it once that I remember. I'm ready. Go ahead, John. We're going to do one, two, four. like a river glorious now I've led that a couple times and most everybody didn't know it but by now third time around I think we're going to learn it we sing this up north a lot so we're going to sing all three verses of it. talks about God's peace
Did I get it turned on? I got it turned on. All right. And uh, I'm glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming back. I'm always amazed when people come back for a second dose. And uh, you hear me once and you come back again, that's on you. You know that, don't you? And uh, I'm thrilled to be here and hope you got a good nap. How many took a little nap this afternoon? You got a little nap and out-of-body experience? And and, uh, and uh, I'm not a good napper. My wife loves naps. Sunday afternoon naps are like her favorite. Not me. I uh, I, I kind of wake up grumpy. And uh, if I take a nap, I, a nap for me is like six or seven hours overnight is what a nap is for me. And, and so Sunday afternoon naps usually don't, don't bode well for me. So, so uh, that means I'm, I'm a little tired, so I'll finish a little quicker tonight. Amen? And uh, I, I hear I preached a little overtime today. And uh, so I, I, I went a little over. I'll make that up tonight. And uh, we'll pre- go ahead and preach. Let her fly either way, huh? All right. Well, we'll do it. You said it. We'll do it. We're going to go to Joshua. Chapter number, uh, Joshua chapter number two this evening. In the, uh, in the, excuse me, Judges chapter number two. Don't have my glasses on. Judges chapter number two, uh, back in the Old Testament. In, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And, uh, we'll go there in the Old Testament and look at a passage of scripture here this evening. And, uh, I've had the privilege, as I said this morning, of, of working all these years with teenagers. I love being with teenagers. I really do. Um, and, and I love seeing when the light bulb clicks on in a teenager's mind. Uh, I know some of you are thinking, does it ever? It really does. And it's great seeing it when a teenager finally understands how much God loves them. 
And uh, I love that. I really do. And I lived for those moments in the lives for teen- of teenagers. And, and uh, we have, I, have, I have tons of stories I could tell about teenagers and, and things we did, dumb stories, uh, crazy stories, things we did we probably shouldn't have done and, and uh, where people should have been hurt and they weren't hurt and praise God for that and a whole, whole lot of stories. But I loved getting a group of teenagers together and sharing with them how much Jesus loves them. And, and I, I believe this is all my heart. I believe it, it is a church's mandate, a, a, a responsibility of a church body to reach the next generation for Jesus Christ. I, I believe that is, that is paramount in any church. You see, the truth is, is if we don't reach the next generation for Jesus Christ, it's just we're one generation from this church's doors being closed, honestly. Uh, the, the truth is we have to reproduce ourselves. We have to see God reach that next generation for Christ. And tonight, we're going to hit that just a little bit. We're, we're going to hammer it. You say, why in the world are we going there? I don't know. Literally, I, I have no idea why God's led me to this passage of Scripture and what God has in store for us this evening. I know I wrote down a bunch of notes, and I've got some things here to share, but I don't understand why God led us here this evening. We're going to find that out here later, I guess. But I'm excited about reading this passage of Scripture. Uh, we, we must reach those. We all could tell stories of churches that used to be. Churches that used to be a great church reaching the community for Christ, and now the, the buildings have been sold, the doors have been shut, and, and, and they're not doing anything anymore. Or the church is just a shell of what it used to be. And, and by God's grace, that ought not be true about any of our churches. We ought to be faithful reaching the next generation. Uh, my pastor, Dr. Norris, back there at Franklin Road Baptist Church for the last 20 years, uh, I remember one time he brought me in his office and he, he pointed his finger at my face. I, I thought I was in trouble for sure. But he pointed his finger at me and he said, Kurt, he said, if Franklin Road Baptist Church is ever going to have revival, it's going to come on the backs of the teenagers of Franklin Road Baptist Church. And then he went on to explain himself. I thought he was just putting the pressure on me. I, I didn't say that because I like my job. So, But, but I, I learned that day what he meant. If we don't reach the teenagers, if we don't reach the children... We're in trouble. We're in trouble. And that's bowed out here in the Word of Scripture, or the Word of God as well in the Scriptures. And I want you to see, in hold your place there in Judges chapter number 2. I meant to have you turn to two different places. Go to Proverbs chapter number 30 as well. I want you to see this in Proverbs chapter number 30. We're going to spend all of our time in Judges here this evening. But uh, flip over to Proverbs chapter number 30 for just a moment here this evening. Proverbs chapter number 30. And I want you to see this. Proverbs chapter number 30, verse number 11. I'll give you a, che- uh, a, a moment to get that passage of Scripture. Proverbs chapter number 30, verse number 11. The Word of God says this. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, they don't honor authority. Verse 12. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. I wrote down in the margin, self-righteous. Verse 13, there is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. I wrote down the margin of my Bible, pride. Verse number 14, there is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men. I wrote down in the margin of my Bible, harsh with their mouth, or harsh words. I, I read that passage of Scripture because... That, that passage of Scripture in Proverbs describes to us another generation. A generation that follows. And I, I love getting around older folk and listening to them talk. I really do. I love to just sit back and, and not, not open my mouth, just listen. I love to hear what they have to say about the good old days. 
And, and I, that, that honestly is one of the points of my message. Before I get ahead of myself, let's read in Judges chapter number two here this morning, or this evening. Judges chapter number two. We'll look at this passage of scripture and see what God has for us here this evening. Judges chapter number two. We're going to read a lengthy passage of scripture, so bear with me here. Judges chapter number two, verse number one. The word of God says this. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, or Bochum, excuse me, and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, listen to this promise, I will never break my covenant with you. What a mighty God we serve. Verse 2, And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. God asked this question, Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum, Bochum. And they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua had, had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that, that he did for Israel. I, I love this passage of Scripture because God Almighty comes before this group of people and says, Hey, I made a promise to you. I told you I was going to take care of you, and you didn't obey my voice. You chose to do it your own way. You have the Burger King mentality. Do it, have it your own way. The old Frank, Frank Sinatra song, you know, I did it my way. That, that's what the children of Israel did right at the beginning of, of chapter number two, verses one and two. They, God said, do it my way. And the people said, no, we're going to do it our way. And then God judged the people. Sounds kind of familiar to America in 2021, doesn't it? God judged the people. God sent a curse. God sent some plagues to the children of Israel. And God judged those people. And he confronted the people about it. I, I love this. God is a God of second chances. I love this. God comes back in verse number three and, and, and says, Hey, I will still, I, I'm, I'm going to curse you. You're going to have problems. You're going to have, you got some issues in your life. Verse number four, the people repented. The people said, Okay, you're right. We're sorry. They wept. They said they're sorry. And they got right back on track. And the Bible says in verses 6 and 7 that all those people chose to serve God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. I, I love this. Until that generation passed away. They all gave their, their, their heart for Jesus Christ and they served Him with everything they got. I, I wrote down in my notes, I put this down, number one, I put down the good old days. The good old days. I wrote, wrote down in this passage from verse 4 down to verse number 7. Verse 4, they repented. Verse number 7, they had godly living. I put this down as a subpoint there. God's presence in the past. Well, I love, like I said, I love to sit down and listen to stories of bygone days. Don't y'all love to hear how, how, when you get together with your grandma, your grandpa, and you, you, you reminisce with them and you listened as they told stories about the good old days? Just bear with me for a few moments, okay? I, I remember sitting down with my grandma and she'd tell stories. One of her favorite preachers is Oliver B. Green. She loved to hear Oliver B. Green. And she'd play, we'd go over to her house and she'd have Oliver B. My grandma was blind. 
And, uh, and, and, and legally blind. She really couldn't see much at all. You could stand in front of her. She knew someone was there, but she had no idea who it was. And, and four little Copeland boys would go over to my grandma Copeland's house and here's this blind lady. My grandpa had, had passed away years and years before. I, I didn't even know my grandpa. But we'd go over to grandma Copeland's house and, and four little boys running around with a blind lady. And, and we would, we would torture my grandma. I don't say this proudly, but we'd rearrange the furniture on my grandma. And she'd go walking through the house and she'd run into something you hear and go, ah! And, and, and we'd all snicker and she'd say, all right, boys, who did it? And she'd go get the fly swatter. And she'd grab that fly swatter, she'd put it on top of the refrigerator and she'd go in there and she'd reach up, she'd grab that fly swatter and she wouldn't hold it with that little floppy in, uh, swing the little floppy in. She'd flip around, she'd hold on to the floppy in. And that hanger, the wire would be out the other end and you could hear it coming. And I don't know how she did it. But she would know where we were at every time. She'd come through and, and I don't know whether we were sneaking or like, oh, oh, hide. And we'd run and, and she'd get us back in the corner and then, and then, oh, grandma, you got, oh, grandma, grandma, stop, stop. And she'd get us, and, well, but she'd sit us down and we'd hear Oliver B. Green preach. J. Vernon McGee. She, she'd play J. J. Vernon McGee as well. And we'd sit down and hear that old Texas draw in his voice and listen to the man preach. And, and I, I, I could sit down with my grandmas and I could listen to him tell stories about going to old camp meeting preaching. Where, where the glory of the Lord fell. Where they knew the presence of God was real. Where, where they go into church services and, and you just knew God was meeting. I'm not being in, in any way weird with that either. I don't mean that in any weird way. But you knew when God was meeting with you. When the presence of God was real. And it was almost as if, it was almost as if Jesus Christ, and I, again, I'm, I'm being hesitant even how I say this. But you could feel His presence in the room. Not in a spooky way. But in a real biblical way. And you, and, and you knew God was meeting with you. And you'd see souls saved and you'd see the tears flowing. And, and you knew there was something special about the time you were meeting together. It was hard to go home. Instead of going home, you wanted to sit back and you wanted to talk and you wanted to relive it over and over again. We, we took a group of youth pastors down to El Paso, Texas years ago with Bearing Precious Seed. And uh, it, it was probably, I don't know, a hundred youth pastors. That's dangerous, by the way. You get that many youth pastors together. And uh, all of us getting together and, and just just enjoying the fellowship of talking and, and, and talking about how God had been blessing and, and, and how you're reaching teenagers for Christ. And, and then you tell some horror stories, you know, too, about some of the dumb things you've done and, you know, why you even have a job anymore. But we'd tell all these stories and, and, and how God was reaching that next generation. And I remember that, that time we had down there was unbelievably precious. We went up to this hillside for a service. The preacher got up to preach, and tears started flowing, and youth pastors making decisions. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about preachers, if you can call a youth pastor a preacher. Up there, up there on a mountainside, talking about meeting with God on a mountainside, and man, oh man, did we meet with God. I remember falling on my face and crying and begging God for His help and for His presence in my life, and we can tell these stories over and over and over again about the presence of God. Hey, if, if we were to pass the microphone around tonight, what story would you tell? Not, not necessarily about something you accomplished, but knowing that God worked in your presence. Hold on. We all ought, have, all ought to have a story. About when you knew God was so real. 
God was so precious. Maybe it was a church service you were in. Maybe it's when God saved your soul. Maybe it's that time when you knew you knew you couldn't live life without the presence of God in your life. Maybe it was when God sent you through a trial or, or something and you saw the presence of God. Maybe it was something like that. But here the children of Israel, they saw they'd done wrong. They came back and they said, God, we're sorry. And they started to wholly follow God Almighty. They had the presence of God in their life. Remember I told you this morning we had gone to the Nashville Rescue Mission. As, as teenagers growing up and, and I came back to be a youth, well, even, even as a teenager still going, going with that, that group of people from the Soul of the Lord that went to the, the rescue mission. I remember getting on a van. I, I was probably 15, 16 years old. Wasn't preaching this time. But I'd surrendered to preach and I was excited about doing what God wanted me to do and I, I felt like I was following God with all my heart and, and got on that van where there, there were two preachers sitting in front of me in the van. Actually, don't tell my wife I'm telling you this. But the girl I liked also, her parents were there and she was there. And so it was a, it was a good opportunity to spend some time with her too. And, uh, and, and so, but don't tell my wife I said that. But we were on the van on the way to church. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we were on the, on the van on the way to church and uh, on the way to the rescue mission. And I was just sit back, sitting back there listening as these preachers ahead of me were talking in the seat ahead of me there. They were talking about years before. They were reminiscing those good old days. Those services with a, with a John Rice, with a, with, with, with a Billy, not they, with Billy Sunday, but services with Billy Sunday and, and where the, where the glory of God seemed to really flow. And, and, and as a preacher, you hear these stories about how God used to meet with people and how, how the glory days were. And I listened to those two preachers preach. And I remember sitting there thinking, man, I want some of that. I want some of that presence of God in my life. And then those two preachers, both of them said these same words. Both of them said, man, I remember it felt like God was so close to us then. And they said this, I don't know that I've ever sensed the closeness of God like I did at that point in my life. And I remember thinking in my heart, I hope I never, ever have to say those words. I hope I never have to say, I remember when God was so close to me. I remember when the presence of God was there. I hope I can say that every day of my life. The psalmist said this, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so my soul panteth after Thee, O God. God, I want You. God, I need You. Hey, can I tell you this? From the youngest in the room to the oldest in the room, we're all failures without the presence of God in our life. We're all failures without the presence of God. I, I don't mean that in a criticism way. I mean it in a real way. As a Christian, as a child of God, we're all failures, failures without the presence of God in our life, without that sweet, intimate walk with Jesus. Do you have that tonight? It's not about being in a church building. It's not about, uh, not about giving an offering. And by the way, all those things are great. They're all commanded by God. But it's about your presence with God, or God's presence with you. I, I, I guess the only way I know to relate this, I, my, my wife and I, we, we went to high school together. I, I really didn't know her much in high school, to be honest with you. I, I shouldn't say it quite that way. I, I was a junior in high school when she came to, to our school. And uh, I was on the basketball team for a little Christian school. I say little Christian school. It was a fairly decent-sized Christian school. But I was on the basketball team. I had front-row seats to every game. It was wonderful. In other words, I never played. I was always on the bench. 
But I had front row seats. I never had to pay to get in the games. I never had to, you know, I, I, I was there. I got to watch all the games. I cheered them on. I loved it. I really did. I, I guess I didn't know. I really was a little too nervous to get in the games anyway, I guess, probably. So, I, I guess. They, they just really didn't know how good I was. I kept hiding my talent. And, uh, but I had those front row seats, and my wife was a cheerleader for our Christian school. And so she was across the way. She was cheering us on, and I was sitting there on the bench, and, you know, that, that was our, uh, but I, I, I liked one of her friends. And, uh, and we went off to, I went off to Bible college and, and started studying for the ministry. And then uh, I'm a year ahead of my wife in school. And so I was there my freshman year and dated a bunch of girls and, you know, had, had, had a good old time, I guess, in, in, in the right way and, and, uh, met a lot of people, but never found the right one. And, 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 and my, my sophomore year, she came and she dated a bunch of guys. I mean, like a whole bunch of guys. And, and, and she never found the right one. And finally, my junior year, we're, we're friends. We would sit down in an area at the campus where other people walked by and, and we, we would try and help each other find the right person for their life. It's kind of weird, you know, uh, tell the teenagers awkward trouble, you know, it was, it was really weird. I, I'm trying to help her find a, a boyfriend and she's trying to help me find a girlfriend and just kind of a weird thing. And then finally the light bulb clicked on. What am I thinking? She's right in front of me. We started dating my junior year, her sophomore year of college. We started dating and got a little more serious and got a little more serious. And do you know, she used to write me little notes. I say used to. She ironed my shirt for me. I left it on the counter at the hotel. I got a little note in my pocket. She ironed the shirt and she put a little note in my pocket. I'm stuttering a lot right now. (laughs) Sorry. She wrote me those little notes at at college. We had a little mail system on campus. You had to put a postage stamp. Praise God, it was free. You put it in a little box, and then people from the camp, uh, college would deliver it to the other dorms, and they'd go through and knock on doors and holler in. They call that Panhellenic. I don't even know what that means. Panhellenic mail. And they'd knock on the doors, they'd say, Panhellenic! And they'd holler their name for the, whoever was in the dorm, and, and, in the room, and they'd ho- toss in the room. They'd go to the next door and hand off that. And, and, and so she'd write a little note to me, and I'd write a little note to her. And, and you know, girls are different than guys. I, I know that's kind of a duh, Captain Obvious statement. But girls would fold their little notes a little bit different. They'd, they'd fold it and they'd tuck a little piece of the paper underneath the other piece and you'd it'd say pull here to pull the paper out to unwrap the thing and guys just fold it and put a piece of tape on it and uh, send it off. But, but I'd put my cologne, I'd squirt my cologne on the note. Stetson. Yeah. I'd spray that on there and I'd send it, I'd send it across and she'd put her perfume on there. She'd squirt her perfume on there. And then you go put it in that box and, and I didn't know it, but everybody squirted their little perfume on their little note. And so all those perfumes, it was like a smorgasbord of perfumes. And you'd get that note. And first thing I'd do when I got that note, I'd, <sighs> I didn't realize it was like 15 different perfumes all meshed together. But I'd smell that perfume. And you know what? I couldn't read the note enough. You know what I'm talking about? I'd smell it and I'd open it up and I'd read it said, Dear Kurt. I'd pull my ink pen out and I would change that dear to Dear Est. Dearest Kurt. Yeah, look at that. I'd tell my room, look what she said. No, you just wrote, no, no, she wrote it. She put it there. And I'd read the note. I'd I'd read down through it. I'd repeat some of it out loud. Some parts I didn't repeat out loud because it was none of their business. They didn't need to know how handsome and how muscular and how good looking. They didn't need to know all that stuff. I'd read that note over and over again. I'd take that note and I'd stick it under my pillow. In the middle of the night, I'd pull that note out, smell it again, stick it under my pillow. The next day, I'd get up, you know what I'd do? I'd read the note again. I still have those notes at home. 
I, I love, you say, why in the world would you do that? Because I wanted that closeness. You know what I'm talking about? How do you have that closeness with God? It's the same way. That closeness with God, those good old days should be today. I'm getting ahead of myself now. How do you have that? The same way you have it in a relationship. Read the notes. Closeness with God is spelled L-O-V-E. T-I-M-E. God just wants you. God doesn't want your money. God doesn't want your talents. God doesn't want your humor, your intellect. God doesn't. All God wants is you. By the way, when you give him you, he gets everything else too. But God wants you. He loves you. He's given his all. God Almighty loved you so much that he gave the most valued possession he had. His own child, his own son, Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity. God gave Jesus to you because he loves you so much. The least we could do is give him back our life. Live for him. The least we could do. Number one, I see those good old days that Joshua was telling the children of Israel about. Joshua says, hey, you, you want to have the presence of God. you you got to have the presence of God. Revival in Joshua's day was them going into the promised lands. They had, bio, they had battles, but God blessed. Hey, can I tell you, there, there's a lot of people in America today who only know the presence of God or how it used to be. And that ought not be so at Victory Bay Baptist. It ought to be the presence of God is here right now just as real as it's ever been throughout the history of this church. That's what Joshua is telling the people here. The Bible says, next few verses, verse number, verse number eight. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. Here he delivers this great message and talks about the presence of God. And verse number eight, kind of anticlimactic. In the next verse, Joshua dies. Being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in that hills. In the Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose, listen to this, another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which the Lord had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them up out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were around about them and bowed themselves unto, unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served ba Baal and Asheroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them to the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemy. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had said... And as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Verse number 16, listen to this. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. I look at this passage of Scripture, and can I tell you this is a very sad passage. 
Here's the children of Israel who had every reason in the world to rejoice over the good old days and the things that God had done. We see, number one, those good old days. But we see, number two, our old nature. Our old sinful Adamic nature. You see, every one of us, none of us in this room, none of us in this room, your parents did not walk you through the old convenience store way back in the day and say, okay, okay, little Johnny, here's how you steal. Okay, let's secretly walk over here to this counter. Look at that candy bar on the, on the aisle, on that bottom shelf. Your parents did not do this. They did not say, okay, now as we walk through here, reach down and grab that candy bar and stick it in your pocket and make sure no one's looking. I hope your parents did not do that. My parents didn't do that. I remember one time we were walking through Kmart. Me and my best friend, Tommy. We were walking through Kmart. We got to the checkout lanes. And I think this is just evil on, on, the, on the, the side of the, the people at the grocery stores. They put those candy bars right there at kids' eye level. It's cruelty. Because every child walks through and they start drooling. Ah, give me the candy! Give me the candy! And mommy, mommy, can I, can I, can I? No, no, no. And finally they're hollering and screaming. Mom throws a candy bar in the th- I remember walking through, through the Kmart. Tommy's mom was up in front of us and she was checking out and I reached out and I, I said, hey Tommy, let's get a candy bar. He said, no, my mom's not going to let us. I said, your mom doesn't have to know. He said, what? I said, no, no, it's okay. Go ahead and take it. He said, I can't. My mom will kill me. She doesn't have to know. Okay. Tommy reached down and grabbed a Snickers bar. Stuck it in his pocket. He reached up and grabbed his mom by, by the, the, the shirt tail and said, Mom, 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 can, can, can Kurt and I go outside? Back in the day when you couldn't, you'd have to worry about someone stealing your kid. His mom said, Yeah, get out of here. You're too loud. You're getting on my nose anyway. Go out there. We walked out there. He grabbed that candy bar out of his pocket. I grabbed out his hand and I, I broke that candy bar in half. I, I pulled it out of the wrapper, looked at it. I looked for the bigger size. I kept it. I handed him the smaller size. And we started chowing down that Snickers bar. We're eating as fast as you can. We're looking in the window to see when his mom's coming. His mom started coming out the door. We're finishing up. We got it done. We thought, yeah, we got the candy bar. We started walking to the, the car and jumped in the, he, they had one of those big old long wood panel station wagons. And we jumped in that station wagon. His mom's in the back. She's throwing groceries in that back of that station wagon. She gets in the driver's seat and she gets in the driver's seat. She said, all right, boys, are we ready to go yet? And we said, oh, yes, ma'am, we're ready to go. And she said, what's that I smell? I said, oh, I don't smell anything. I don't smell anything. She said, I smell chocolate. What? She said, have you boys been eating chocolate? Oh, no, no, we haven't been eating chocolate, no. Tommy, open your mouth. Open it wider. Tommy, open your mouth. And he opened his mouth. She looked at his mouth. She said, what have you been eating? Nothing, 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 mom, nothing. Tommy, breathe on me. <sighs> she said, you've been eating chocolate. Where did you? Tommy started crying. Good, told me to take a candy bar. Can I tell you what, in, what ensued after that was not very fun. I got a spanking at Tommy's house. I got a spanking at my house from my mom. We got a spanking from my dad. It seemed like we got back to the grocery store. The grocery store owners gave us spankings. We had to pay for the candy bar. It was brutal. You know, my parents did not teach me to do that. My parents didn't teach me how to lie. They didn't teach me how to cheat. They didn't teach me how to steal. But I know how to do all those things. And so do you. We all do. We know how to gossip. 
Oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? <gasps> Do you know the latest? Hey, can I tell you? It's of Satan. It's wrong. It's wrong. There's nothing right about it at all. Oh, but we got, whoop, I've got a prayer request. Some prayer requests you just need to keep to yourself. Some things aren't worthy of being repeated. Oh, but it's true. Even some true things aren't worth being repeated. Keep it all, just keep it to yourself. You know, someone, I heard the old saying, you talk about me all you want and I'll talk about you on my knees. The only place you have the authority to talk about anybody for any reason is on your knees. To God only. Here, my parents didn't teach me how to gossip, but I know how. He said, what are you getting at? We all, every one of us, we have an old, sinful, Adamic nature. I was born with the ability of sinning just like you were born with the ability of sinning. And the greatest person in this room, the godliest person in this room, the godliest, it has to be a lady, no doubt about it, the godliest person in this room, guess what? They're a wicked sinner. The Bible says their righteousness, their goodness, their, their, their good things in life are nothing but filthy rags to God. That's a very humbling thought, isn't it? Well, why do we go to church? You know, well, one sinner telling another sinner about a Savior. That's what church is all about. And sometimes we think, well, we put on that coat of Christianity and now we're all something spirit. No! We're sinners. That present sinful nature that every one of us have is a daily struggle in all of our lives. Hey, can I tell you? There's no one exempt from that. Nobody. From the godliest person. It, well, I'm, I'm treading on thin ice now. Pastor Mike, I hope it's okay to say this. E even, even those preachers who we put up on a pedestal, guess what? They're just as much a sinner as anyone else. Matter of fact, Satan absolutely hates them. Satan would do anything to destroy their lives. Temptation comes to every one of us. Every one of us are sinners. And when we start looking down our nose at someone else who's had an issue with sin, guess what? Ye that are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also... God's Word's pretty clear on this. We sometimes we start thinking, well, I've arrived. I'm something spiritual. I'm something great. No, 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 no. But by the grace of God, I'd wake up in a gutter tomorrow morning. But by the grace of God, I'd be in jail right now. The Lord's giving me an opportunity. I'm doing a uh, driving lift. Don't, don't tell me what I've been doing some of that. I've been driving lift. It's been my soul winning opportunities. I've been able to lead. I, I, I've been driving this ride share thing. I, I guess I probably shouldn't say the name of it. But I, and I've led seven people to the Lord in my truck. Taking them from one place to the other. Sharing Jesus Christ with them. And you know what I found? Most people really want to know Jesus. Most people really want to see someone authentic. I had one guy in, in, in the truck, in the backseat of the truck, and was telling me about Jesus. By the way, I don't just come out and say that. I'd get, I'd get fired immediately. They, I'll bring up something and they follow up and then the, the, the conversation flows. One guy said, you know what, I was in church a long time in my life, but I got disappointed by, by other people in church. Hey, can I tell you? We're all sinners. That's why you can't put your eyes on a person. You must keep your eyes on Jesus Christ.
You see, the good old days were real. The good old days are something special. I love the good old days, but we also have that old sinful nature. Our present condition. Our present condition is our sinful nature. And all the way through Judges here, in Judges chapter number 2, God repeats over and over again that sinful nature. By the way, we were discussing it before the service began. The children of Israel wandering in the wilderness? Good night! We can read in the book of Exodus over and over again and think, you guys are so dumb! What's your problem? Just surrender to God and follow God and watch Him bless. But yet they kept complaining and griping and, and that cycle of sin kept being real in their life. And you know what? The children of Israel are no different than you and I. We'll get right with God. And I've been with teenagers for all these years. We, we go to summer camp and you see the altar filled with teenagers as they make decisions for Jesus Christ and getting right and, and, and getting the music right and getting the relationship with authority right and, and, and just surrendering. And they leave from camp. They go back home and they fall right back into the same old ruts. They go right back into this vicious cycle of life that we're all in. We look at the children of Israel. We look at Bible examples. We think, why, why would you do something like that? Why would you live that way? Oh, don't, don't you know better? Come on, Christians in the Bible, don't you know better? Samson, why'd you do that? And, but we can list everybody. Jonah, why'd you do that? And, uh, Paul, why'd you do that? You know why they did it? Because they're sinners just like you and me. Don't think you've arrived. Don't think you've overcome that, that old sinful nature. By the way, the day you stop struggling with sin, you know when that's going to be? The day you take your last breath. The day you see Jesus face to face. Then you won't have to say, Oh, why did I think that? Or why did I say that? Or why was, you don't have to worry about it then. Then you're in your new, your new body, the glorified body. I wrote some of these things down. We're all prone to turn against the ways of God. By the way, the apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter number seven, didn't he? You want a good Bible study? Go to Romans chapter number seven. You don't have to tonight. But the Apostle Paul, that passage of Scripture where Paul says, the things that I would do or the things I'm not doing or the things I know I should do. Yeah, I always confuse it in my own mind when I say it. Paul said, I'm doing the things I shouldn't and I'm not doing the things I should. That's the Apostle Paul. We studied Ephesians this morning. Phenomenal study this morning. The Apostle Paul struggled with it. Why do we think we won't struggle with it? By the way, the Bible does say, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So I'm not saying, well, I'm going to fail anyway. Might as well just jump in with both feet. That's, that's not that's not biblical. We all suffer with this thing called our sinful nature. Paul dedicated himself to this. Paul said, I die daily. Every day, God, I, I lay myself on the altar and I say, God, will you take my life? That's what Paul said. And that's got to be the prayer of every one of us as Christians here tonight. God, I'm yours. God, whatever you want for my life, God, I'm yours. Because those good old days are great. That was the presence of God. But right now, in our present condition, is our old sinful nature. Right, I give you hope, number three. The only answer. Number one, the good old days. Number two, the old nature. Number three, the only answer. The only answer, the only option is to follow Christ. Follow Christ. In this passage of Scripture, the children of Israel had that option and they chose not to do it. And, and I, I go back to verse number 10. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. That's Joshua and all those people he worked with. All those, that generation of that, of that church. 
All that generation passed away. And everyone that followed, they didn't know the same God that Joshua knew. And all those, those deacons and those elders, those leaders, those Sunday school teachers, those bus workers. All that generation passed off the scene and now there was a new generation on the scene. And they didn't know God. There arose another generation, generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which He had done. And here's the answer. The answer is this. Reach the next generation. Reach the next generation. How do you do that? Mom, dad, walk with God. Hey, Sunday school teacher, prepare. Bus worker, don't stop. I know we're living in COVID days and things aren't the same right now. It will, Lord willing, get back to somewhat of normal sometime soon. I pray. So give it your all. These people, but don't be, don't be that generation that turns away. By the way, you control your future. You see here today, you control that. By faith, trust Christ. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not to thine own understandings. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I, I love passages of Scripture that teach me to stop relying upon myself and trust Jesus Christ. Give Him, give him that opportunity to steer your car. Give him the, don't just, don't let, don't just be a co-pilot. Let him have full control. Surrender. I look at this passage and in, in my mind, in conclusion, I'm done. In conclusion, I, I think, how do we make this practical to us? See, I don't believe in replacement theology. I don't believe we're the children of Israel. I, I'm a child of God. And, and I've been grafted into the family of God. I've been adopted by Jesus. Praise God for that. But what does this Old Testament passage mean to me? These things are written for our admonition. These things are there to teach us. So what do I learn from a group of people who, there was one generation that fell in love with God and gave God their all. And the next generation dropped the ball. Here's what I get. I get this. I have a responsibility to reach that next generation. That's why when I come into a church service, I, I look for teenagers. I really do. I, I love being around teenagers. Give me a teenager any day of the week. Adults scare me. Give me a teenager. I love being around teenagers. And I love, I love taking the Bible and teaching a teenager how much, how much God loves them. Hey, remember what I told you this morning? We're a bunch of teenagers in grown-up bodies. God loves you. And God's used you in some great ways. No doubt about it. God's, God's led you in, into this great church and, and, and helping other people trust Christ. And I know we're in crazy times, but God's used you. And, and you've raised a family. And you've taught other people. And, and you've done what you're supposed to do. But don't stop. Don't let Satan get the victory. Keep pressing on. God's not done. God's not done. Keep pressing on. Keep reaching the next generation. Keep reaching out. Keep letting people see the love of Jesus Christ through your life. You say, well, I'm too old. Mm -mm. Oh, maybe you can't teach the Sunday school class. I, I understand. Maybe you can't walk a mile down the street knocking on... I understand. God's not done with you. God's... The greatest prayer warrior I had was my grandma Hackney. My grandma Copeland, she probably was done praying for me when I rearranged the furniture. My grandma Hackney, and she she called me she called me Blondie, a little old boy. She called me. She say you're gonna be my preacher boy. 
My grandma Hackney prayed for me all the time. She'd write me a letter. We didn't have cell phones back in the days. And uh, the old rotary dial phone, long to ask a teenager what a collect call means. What? What's a collect call? They have no, no clue. But, but, but she called me. She wouldn't call me on the phone because it was too expensive, but she'd write me a letter. And in that letter, she'd say, Blondie, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Hey, can I tell you? You may not be able to go knock on the doors like you used to, but you can pray. You can stay faithful and encourage in that generation that's following. If, if you're in here, chances are, if you're in here, that's kind of a great statement, isn't it? If you're in here, the truth is, sometimes we as adults were intimidated and scared by the younger generation. We are. Oh, those whippersnappers, they think they know it all, don't they? They, they? My daughters would take my cell phone and they could program my cell phone. They could lock me out of my own cell phone. They, they know a whole lot more about this stuff. We, we, we'd program a remote control. I'm not a programmer of remote control. Just, just make the TV work like it's supposed to. That's all I want. And yet they can pick up that stuff and get on a computer and they can whiz through a computer. All this social media stuff, they know all about it and here we are. A bunch of old fogies. We don't know what it all. We don't know what it is. We don't care what it is. We always, hey, you know what? They may have a different reach and things that we have, but you can still pray. You can still reach them. You see them walking down the hallway. You got to be the first to put out a elbow. <laughs> I was going to say a handshake, not just an elbow. Put a big old smile on underneath the mask. Maybe pull the mask just a little bit so you see the smile. Put it back up and encourage them in Jesus Christ. Reach the next generation. If you're a young person in this room, God Almighty has a plan for you. He's not. He, he, there's no. There's no. Oops, he has a plan. If you're a college age student, young single, God has a plan. God has a plan. If you're a married couple in this room, guess what? God knows exactly where you're at, and God has a plan for your life. God wants to use you to reach the next generation. If you're an older grandparent in this room, God's not done with you. God has a plan. Uh, today, my whole goal today was this. Encourage the family of God. God has a plan. God knows what He's doing. He's, he's not been shaken by COVID COVID has not scared God one little bit. He knows what He's doing. Trust Him. And by God's grace, keep pressing on. The Bible says, Galatians, I think, chapter 6, I think, I don't study much, so pray for me. Galatians chapter 6, the Bible talks about, don't be weary, is that 6? Somewhere in Galatians. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season, Ye shall reap if you faint not. Don't give up. Don't quit. Oh, it's just not worth it. No, it's worth it. It's worth it. Jesus Christ died for you. It's worth it to live for Him. Don't give up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around, no one talking for just a moment. I don't know what you needed tonight. I just know God led me to this passage of Scripture. And I can't help but think, I can't help but know God has a plan. And God wants to use you. 
say, well, I don't want to be a preacher. I, I'm not saying God wants you to be a preacher. God's not done with you, though. God's not done. When is God done with me? When you take your last breath. Before then, don't quit! Don't stop! Keep pressing on. God loves you, and God has a plan for your life. You may be here, and you may not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Hey, can I tell you? That's why Jesus died on the cross, because He loves you. By the way, not just you. He loves the folks that are not gathered together in church tonight too. Do you know that? And it's our responsibility as a church family to reach them. Who can you tell? Who can you be faithful? Maybe it's that neighbor. My neighbor Mike is a drunk man. I love Mike. Mike scares me from time to time. But I've witnessed to Mike probably a hundred times. I want to see Mike trust Christ as his personal Savior. And you know what? Chances are, no one else is probably going to have the opportunity to tell Mike about Jesus. It's my responsibility. Who can you tell? Who is it you need to reach for Jesus Christ? I'm here to tell you tonight, instead of looking back at the good old days, let's make today the presence of God real in our life. Let's make today the good old days. Let's enjoy what God has planned for us. Tonight, I'm going to give a simple invitation. Number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm praying for you. I'm pr Jesus loves you. Heaven's real, but so is hell. And Jesus wants you in heaven. Would you trust Christ tonight, please? If I could beg you into trusting Christ, I'd beg you into it. But better yet, I'd rather love you into Jesus Christ. Because Jesus loves you. You're here tonight, and you know Jesus is your Savior. Maybe you had the temptation of just looking at how it used to be and rejoicing over the good old days. Ah, Don't just rejoice over the good old days. Let's trust Christ for what He has for us for the future. God's got great plans. Let's trust Him. Lord, I thank You for Your goodness. I thank You for Your love. And God, tonight, God, I ask You, help us not to quit. Help us to keep pressing on. Lord, as Satan jumps up on our shoulder and whispers in our ear that it's just not worth it, God, help us to just get back to your word and that presence, your presence in our life, God. Help us to keep pressing on. No matter the age in the room, no matter the experience in the room, God, help every one of us, to, as, as Romans chapter 12 says, Lord, just to, to give ourselves as a sacrifice, wholly acceptable. Lord, it's our reasonable service. God, help us to love you. Help us to serve you. With every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, I'm not going to ask any questions tonight. But I would like you to know this. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, would you please let me talk to you or my wife? We'd love to help you with that. If you're here tonight, you've been feeling maybe just that pressure of, ah, oh, it's too much. I'm tired. Hey, can I challenge you? Push that reset button in your heart and let's press on for Christ. Don't quit. God's got a plan for your life. Don't 